0: Hi, and welcome to another episode of Gomology, a podcast about clothes and stuff. Now, my guest today is all the way from Japan via London. Would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, sure. My name is Take, or my full name is Takeharu Sato. Um, Originally from Tokyo, born and raised uh, in 1976. So now you can tell my age. Uh, I'm 45. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, um, uh, since I was a teenager, I think around, um, at the age of 15, 16, I became, um, I think, uh, fashion conscious and, uh, you know, started out sort of digging some vintage clothing, well, secondhand clothing, probably that at the time it was, um, you know, obviously affordable option, right? You know, I, being a teenager, you know, didn't have much cash, and I couldn't go to like a designer's club and saying like, "Hi, like I want this like a pair of Gucci loafers." You know, like I couldn't do it. So um, it just just as an example. So uh, okay, right. Um, you know, by having a bit of a stipend from my parents, and you know, around thirty euros, uh, just for you to have an idea. Then like, oh, what can I buy? Like. With the cash I have at the moment. And then I started taking some secondhand clothes. That was um, the probably the cheapest option. And uh, yeah, then I just got fascinated by the retail offerings by uh, you know touring around Tokyo. There's you know thousands of thousands of amazing secondhand clothing stores in Japan. And um, in fact I, I live in the UK since uh, 16 years from now. Like I moved to the UK in 2005 and uh, every time i go back to japan i realize like how fascinating it is to like sort of you know do some retail scouting and the quantity of products and and the number of stores you find and then quality of like customer services etc it's just always amazing and then I go to vintage stores in, in, in London sometimes, Europe, US, you know, like, it seems like a lot of best things have gone to Japan already. And then all the store managers, I, every time I ask them like, you know, oh, actually recently uh, there's this uh, guy from Japan came around, bought a bunch of like uh, mint condition stuff. And then it's it's all going to Japan. You know, that's what I hear very often here in the UK, Europe and the US. Um, so <laughs> and I, every time I go back to Japan, like, oh, right. Say, I just discovered this things in the world here in the, in, in Tokyo and not in the U.S. Even like vintage clothing, like Levi's, you know, jeans or, uh, U.S. Navy, U.S. Army stuff, uh, mint conditions. And, um, just like most of them are in Japan now. And then, and then also, yes, I, um, you know uh, whether you could you could afford it or not I just uh, generally loved sort of uh, window shopping etc and then just uh, started touring around uh, not only secondhand clothing stores but also designers stores and um, uh, we call a select shop in Japanese meaning concept stores uh, the, the good examples are like beams uh, united arrows, or like department stores such as Isetan you know um Tokyo hands etc um Tokyo hands is a bit more like you can edit it this time actually because Tokyo hands is less fashion but Isetan good example um and the select shop good example um, um it's just like the services curation of the products presentations, uh, customer services the, the, the sales assistants are all knowledgeable uh, So since I was a teenager um, I got inspired by those people and obviously the products displays music they play you know the smell you 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 feel you, you, you I think the smell is also important to factor when you have retail experience like you walk into the store, discreetly they burn like a scent or perfume or candle etc and then it's just like it stays in your memory and even though now we this you know podcast chatter via the internet and you can hear the sound you can see the other person's face etc you can text people you know you can be on social media and communicate with people around the world but smell is something you cannot achieve in this digital society right so you need to be you need to be in the store and you just experience that sort of thing. Like you smell the furniture of the store, et cetera. I just got fascinated by all these things um, since I was a teenager. And then like uh, every time I speak to the sales assistants, you know, they tell me about the stories behind the products. You know, these shoes are from this factory made by hand, how many people working in the factory. And this is a family business since 1940s or 50s, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And they haven't changed the met- and they, they 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 haven't changed the sort of manufacturing processes, etc. Just like yeah, I learned so much about uh, yeah the garments uh, products, etc. And then and then voila. Um, I uh, even though I went to university and then my BA is politics. Uh, faculty of Law, um, but I just decided not to pursue my career in that field. Uh, probably I was, without being conscious that I want to be creative, right? like <clears throat> I, I just um, followed my basically instincts. Like I, 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 I want to love what I do if I ever make money, and then. Um, Excuse me. So I decided to, yeah, basically follow my instinct and then apply for a job um, at the publishing house in Tokyo. It's called Takara Jimasha. Um, And then they still publish uh, quite cool sort of street uh, fashion titles. And then uh, I was working for one of the titles. It's called Smart magazine, I think, like, oh, you, you're dressed so smart, or you're, you're a smart person, that smart, S-M-A-R-T. Okay. And um, at the time, uh, I got involved in the magazine uh, in 1999. And I was there for 1999? Apologies. It was 2000, precisely, 2000. And then I was there until 2005 for the course of five years, and then I left Japan to live in, in the UK. <clears throat> and that was a pre-social media period of time. And uh, it, the print magazines are so influential still. It, it was pretty influ- influential. And uh, the, when, when we had a, I, I I was actually experiencing the sort of like a peak of the print media and m- my magazine had 600,000 copies. I'm not like bluffing. You can ask the publishing house and do the fact checking. Like right? between 400,000 and two, to, uh, sorry, 600,000. That was the kind of like a um, uh, maximum number of copies we sold um, in Japan. So it, it was really, really influential at the time. And then I really, really enjoyed. Uh, once we feature a product and uh, I, I was chatting with the PR person of Yoshida Kaba, Portabacks. I don't know if you recognize the brand. Porta. Um, Porta as in like, are we have concierge Porta. Yeah. Yep, so the uh, Japanese uh, back company. And they okay. have they have been around for 90 years, nine zero, go close to a century basically. And everything's done by hand, made in Japan, etc. And then I was chatting with a PR woman at the time. And then she said, uh, "As soon as Smart Magazine copy comes out, the phone rings like a crazy. It goes red hot. So they hired actually a part-time people to receive those customer queries uh, because obviously only only uh, by the full-time people they couldn't just like answer the phones phone calls. Uh, so like they they even bought like some extension cables, different numbers and." At the back of the magazine, you know, press queries, and then we put like because there's no like established email queries at the time, so <laughs> not even social media queries. So there's no social media platforms. Uh, so you, you customers, as soon as they came across the magazine, and they discover a portal, back, for example, I want this back. They just like, jumped onto the telephone page at the back of the magazine, and they rang straight away. So like. As soon as the magazine came out from the morning of the, the magazine sales day, sale day, the phone started ringing like crazy. So they needed to hire a person or two just to answer the phone. <laughs> so not only are the like I, I had like but many PR people, companies uh, who say, who told me the same thing. So I, this is a crazy moment. And then I don't know if that's the same uh, right now. Uh, obviously the social media platform, is obviously flourishing, and uh, the, communi- the way we com- communicate has changed significantly since then. Um, so, yeah, um, I, through my career, I met fascinating people, and my role was to, you know, edit the magazine. So, like, interview people. We did a bit of a trend forecast, uh, wrote um, wrote articles, uh, and then produced a lot of fashion shoots, basically, and. Uh, uh, I met the great stylists, photographers, fashion models, designers. Uh, we had a lot of collaborations inspired so much by those people. And then after three, four years, I started thinking, like, where should I go in terms of my career path? And, and I, I just wanted to develop, you know, uh, build my name, et cetera. So in order to do that, what, what should I do? You know, would I move on to another publishing house in Tokyo and then do the same kind of thing? Mm, I wasn't sure. And uh, like I said, it was pre-social media days, so I often went to uh, some bookstores that sold uh, many of the international titles uh, just to check out what's happening around the world. You know, that was the best sort of way of finding out what. What was happening around the world? Uh, because obviously there was no Instagram, no Google, no YouTube. So we, 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 the best way is to discover the print and then, you know, what they're writing about, what kind of shoots they're having, primarily fashion shoots. So I, I went to the bookstore often and then freaking through all the international titles, and I got most fascinated by mainly mainly by the English titles and uh british culture fashion magazines and then at the time i was thinking about uh, moving on somewhere without specifically thinking where uh, without specifically defining where i should go and then like uh maybe rather than staying in tokyo uh maybe i should discover like uh you know maybe maybe i should go overseas and then discover a lot more um you know something i can never find here in tokyo and then okay then a few options came up uh, new york paris or london and i ended up choosing london because of the reason i mentioned a little bit earlier uh it's just like by um I was around the mid 20s at the time. And then I just sort of, uh, w- w- when you flick through the magazines, I felt, uh, you know, those people uh, working for the, the British titles, they, it seems like day, they're having so much fun doing these fashion shoots. And they don't take life too seriously. And they're still running the magazine as a good business, you know. And they have many adverts and uh, especially great names. Uh, great brands, fashion, luxury clients, and they're doing crazy editorials. And then, right? Okay, I want to do something sort of like a bit more crazy, and then, you know, and then have some fun, and then do the business. Okay, I would love to be a fashion editor based in London, and um, potentially stylist, and create fashion videos because I pretty much enjoyed making fashion visions uh, in Tokyo. Especially for the the smart magazine you, I, I work for, and then I started a research uh, on like how I can be employed by those uh, publishing houses, and then being a Japanese person, and then working full time legitimately. Obviously, it it you you need to sort out your visa, right? And uh, in order to do that. You can't just turn up and say hey like i'm from japan i used to work for this uh, publishing house and show them portfolio and then i they wouldn't hire you straight away simply because obviously they need to sort out the visa program first which would be uh, costly and they would prefer to hire either british or european people because obviously it's a hassle free and um, so i asked a um, good friend of mine um, he used to actually work in the UK as a graphic designer for two years, and he's currently based in Tokyo. And he gave me the tip, actually, Take, with your career background, why don't you apply for this course uh, called the History of Design at the Royal College of Art? And, and I started looking into their Website, yeah, there's a website actually already. Uh, yeah, yeah, there was there was a system of email email on the website. I'm talking about like early two thousand. So yes, so I I started checking the website and then obviously if uh, I wanted to know if I was really eligible for the course, and then you know I found that I was, and then it's it's it was great that the, you know this course even though my B is politics uh, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, it seems the course is interested in taking people from a uh, different career and academic backgrounds. All right, I apply for it, you know, life is too short and um, I just do it, see how it goes. And then um, I got a place. And uh, before I had a place, actually I had visited London just to, you know, see how the town is like because I had, I, I had never been. And then I stayed in my friend's house uh, for one week. Um, and luckily, obviously, I had some paid holidays left. And uh, okay, like I used this opportunity to, to you know, experience London. And I went, I went to actually meet and greet uh, with uh, the staff at the Royal College of Art, especially History of Design course. And then they actually, at the time well, when I visited, they had already received my portfolio. And they seem to be really interested in my career. And then, uh, it, it, you know, like they they uh, they have uh, like a couple of fashion tutors um, in the course. And then they they thought they had been missing some fashion specialized students. And then they thought I was a good potential. And then yeah, so I had a place. And then um, yeah, and then decided to. Move on and maybe yeah okay. I'm gonna change my life. At at the time I was 29, and then it, it was a kind of big life change. You see, you know, like I was working working for a publishing house, and then you know I was working like basically 24 seven. Like every single day, I couldn't catch the last train of the day because there is a deadline, deadline, deadline. At the time, Smart Magazine was bi weekly. So, two copies a month. And um, like I said, between 400 and 600,000 copies. So, a lot of fact checks, a lot of photo shoots. Sometimes I was staying in the office, uh, slept in the sleeping bag in the office, actually, because as soon as you filed a copy for this issue, there was a location bus coming to pick me up in front of the building. And then five o'clock in the morning to do a fashion shoot for the next issue. So, like, <laughs> okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna send this copy in bed and then moving on to the next issue. So I had a no I I I had actually no time to sleep or, or like a half an hour sleep. And then hey, good morning, everyone. Hopped on the location bus and all the like stylists and photographer, and everyone was. Ready uh, to do the photo shoot. Everyone was motivated, and everyone was like motivated. And was, like, so I, I, I had this kind of like really crazy busy life. And then okay, reset. Uh, you know, relatively well paid job. You know, being full time um, uh, publishing house. Uh, uh, being full time at the pub- publishing house. And then okay, you know, I, if I stay, I was thinking if I stay in Tokyo and I could live comfortably. You know, like I said, the money was not bad and stable job, I enjoyed what I was doing. But at the same time, you know, uh, yeah, I wanted to basically expand my horizon, build my career a lot more. And uh, okay, you know, like I said, hopefully I would love to be involved in one of those publishing houses in, in London, do some crazy stuff and then make money. Okay, life is too short, let me try. I was 29. If I become over 30, uh, still in Tokyo, and probably I would feel comfortable and I would be kind of reluctant to go live abroad. So, okay, whilst I'm motivated highly enough uh, being 29, and then, okay, let's go. So I, I went to uh, study at the World College of Israel Art. And, uh, yeah, at the, at the college, I met a bunch of amazing people. You know, it's an art and design school. There's a fashion course, uh, photography course, vehicle design, architecture, graphical design, uh, sculpture, uh, fine art, all sorts. Then, uh, yeah, I... Um, Uh, Like I said earlier, okay, in the history of design course, there was 15, I think. I don't remember clearly. Around 15 people in my class. And um, uh, yeah, you know, like people from different sort of academic background, uh, career background. And then um, there are a few other people who specialize in fashion, but not like from the media background. So for my dissertation, like, why, why don't I kind of focus on what I have done previously and something about Japan? And uh, it's unique to probably digging dig the topic uh, because none of my classmates did the same kind of thing. Um, then I was, I was actually like underachieving um, at the course I even had a referral for the uh, first summer break, and uh, I wasn't initially allowed to move on to the second grade, second year. And then, uh, take if, if you know your especially your first essay was like rubbish, um, unless you rewrite your first essay completely, uh, maybe for this different topic. Uh, you won't be allowed to like move on, proceed. Okay. So, uh, whereas everyone was having a summer holiday, and I went to the college and then uh, Victoria and Albert Museum every single day. It was a hall. And then, you know, people like, you know, basking in the sun in the sort of like a courtyard of the uh, v Museum. It's beautiful. and having ice cream, you know. There's a fountain, or kids playing and in the water, like great, looking amazing. But I was in the library every single day in order to, Uh, you know, in order to be signed off by my tutors. So I rewrote my uh, first essay and uh, yeah. And then um, I got kind of like signed off. So uh, in my second year, uh it's obviously for it's, it's a two-year course by the way two-year MA study so like the, the first year we kind of like pick up different topics so, you know you take renaissance courses you take modern courses and then in the second year you choose either you specialize in renaissance or modern and i chose modern and uh and then it's for everyone to think about writing your dissertation then um Okay, my career background is a uh, fashion media, and then Japan is, you know, considered to be unique place. Um, and then I wasn't sure like about this theory when I was living in Japan. Like I, 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 I you know, I, um, I met a bunch of international people visiting Japan in Tokyo, and everyone told me that Japan is a special place, unique, it's amazing. Oh, I thought everyone like, everyone's just uh, being polite in front of me, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, this is the people told me yeah, food is amazing, you know, service is impeccable, like a, you know, like shopping is amazing, great, great, great. But in the beginning, I told you exactly the same thing. Now and it's just like now I'm based in the UK since 2005, and I completely agree with those international visitors in Japan. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's great. Okay, I'm gonna write about something I know um, for a long time and since teenager i was fascinated by fascinated by those retail offerings and then i um, i was sort of speculating about what should i focus on and then oh actually uh, there was this magazine called duco sushin And it's called it's in english it's called uh, i think the best way is it, trend report uh, that's best kind of like a uh, translated and then I, that that magazine unfortunately isn't running anymore. Um, But there was a, this, at the, almost the back of the, of the copy, every copy, um, there was a series called Happy Victims. And it's run by self-taught photographer and journalist, Mr. Kyoichi Suzuki. And I just remembered back in the days, oh, this is one of the biggest inspirations for me. And he just, sort of visited those fanatic fashion consumers in their own houses in their own rooms and every single one of them was or maybe still is obsessed with a single fashion brand to name like those brands you know, from high end to street fashion labels etc Prada Gucci Louis Vuitton uh, or like a Japanese fashion brands, you know, A bathing Ape, uh, Undercover, komigason, Yoji Yamamoto, the list goes on. Wow, these guys are amazing, crazy. You know, they live in a tiny accommodation. Obviously, the rents in Tokyo are very expensive, very expensive. And it seems like they are trying to save them money uh, to be able to afford more clothes. And then from this one picture, which depicts a someone's room, and then you know filled with tatami mat and you know little maybe a little bit of garden outside, and then this one room probably a, kind of a studio space sort of thing, and then clothes hanging kind of from the ceiling or like a, one shelving unit, it's all filled with the homeless products. <laughs> this is quite surreal. You know, and it's it's um, this started making me sort of think about right. This is the real consumer. You know, like as opposed to the advertising campaigns that a lot of of fashion companies make. You know, they want to be luxury. They want to present themselves such a luxurious company. And it's true. You know, their presentation is amazing. They always they always produce amazing. Videos and pictures and beautiful casting, etc. But uh, I think, particularly talking about Japan, those ironically though those high-end luxury companies are supported by those consumers who live in small accommodations and then save a lot of money on every single day. You know, oh, okay, I need to save money on lunch. Let's go for like a cheaper lunch, and then you know, saving the the you know, sort of a utility bills to be able to afford um a pair of helmet shoes, for example. And, okay, right, this is really unique. And this is really interesting. And then uh, maybe I should write about these people and the photographer and the journalism, media, etc. And then, yeah, I spoke to my tutors about my idea and they were really fascinated. Okay, this is like, okay, okay, this is signed off. I'll go ahead with it and then yeah i did i started my field research uh using my contacts uh obviously my um uh, career at, at takarajimasha uh worked really well um you know i went through my connections to be able to get a hold of mr Suzuki, and he was um yeah he was very kind enough to accept my interview and then we chatted for a bit and you know like it was it was great to have his comments. Uh, also, I managed to get the hold of uh, some of the subjects who, who posed for Suzuki and for the series of, of the magazine, Happy Victims. And, and so, yeah, I, I, I just got sort of like testimonial comments and why they got obsessed with a particular fashion brand rather than picking up loads of products from different companies, etc. Uh, yeah, so that's why I decided to, uh, yeah, for talk, talking about my book, like, that's why I decided to entitle my book, An Obsession Made in Japan. And then the, the, the book you kindly uh, read for me is basically a heavily edited version of my dissertation. Uh, and then I had wanted to publish uh, my dissertation as a book, but before this coronavirus pandemic, you know, I was almost like constantly traveling uh, for meetings and photo shoots. Um, I'm I'm I, I should have said this like a little bit earlier, but I'm I'm, I'm my career. My, I'm a fashion stylist and a creative director and i, I yeah, nick you can probably sort of juxtapose right so cut and shot <laughs> cut the and shot and <laughs> bring this one to to the beginning or something i will always say i let you i let you edit i hope i i hope i'm not like sort of complicating the structure no. yeah um so yeah so I'm, I'm a fashion stylist and creative director based in london uh and then bef- before uh, this coronavirus pandemic, uh, I just didn't have time to like, um, sort of work on this. And then during the first or second lockdown here in London, um, I was chatting with a friend of mine, and then he reminded me of my idea. Oh, Take, by the way, you, you, know, you wrote a dissertation about sort of fashion-obsessed people uh, in Japan. Um, did you, By the way, did you ever publish that? Oh, no, actually, no, I completely forgot about it. Right, OK. At the time, boom, like, UK went into a second lockdown. And, um, you know, all of a sudden, again, like, it wasn't as severe as the first one. But, OK, it's another lockdown. And I I only had one commercial job. So I had a spare time, enough to be able to, like, edit and publish this dissertation. Uh, well, in fact, it took like a, about six months, so it, it, it took more than like one lockdown, but uh, I, again, like I threw, um, I, I went through my connection, and then um, I met this uh, gentleman, Oliver Stratford, uh, who is currently editor-in-chief at New Magazine, and um, who is brilliant. So he um, edited my book, um, well, he helped me edit my book because obviously English is my second language. When it comes to publishing proper book, I wanted to make it like speak and span, uh, tidy up all the grammar mistakes, spellings, uh, expressions, you know for you know someone like for example, like if a British person uh, picks up the copy, or reads a book, I wanted to make sure that the book totally makes sense from cover to cover. Um, so he did a great editing job. Uh, we worked together for the course of, yeah, like I said, close to six months. And um, ended up correcting 3,000 places. And then the volume increased. Um, yeah, voila. My, edita- my dissertation came out as a book on Amazon. And um, yeah, that's what you read for me. And that brings us here today. Yeah, that's right.
0: <laughs> I have a few questions I'd like to ask you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, w- one of them, first, just the happy victims, these people that are so dedicated to, A, collecting clothes, and B, by one single designer. Oh, is that a specifically Japanese thing to be so single-minded?
1: Um, Good question. Bizarrely, I find a lot of people who are obsessed with a single uh, fashion brand in Japan. And uh, I did find a few people in Europe who are obsessed with a single brand, but not not as intense as Japanese people. So I think it is quite a Japanese thing to say. to to do, I think. Um, It's hard to explain why, but uh, Japanese people in general are quite sort of detail obsessed, you know, like once they become into something, whether that would be fashion or food, or, uh, you know, some, for example, like photography or camera or books, you know, anything, cars and motorcycles, they really, really dig into the topic until you become almost like a connoisseur. And so it's, in terms of like a caring so much about details, obsessed with something, an obsession, like it's, uh, it's particularly like sort of, how do you say, it's like a common thing I could find amongst Japanese people. Am I answering your, your question very well? I hope I am. Yeah, you're good. good. <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: I'm wondering if you know anything about why the title of this photo series in the magazine was Happy Victims. Mm. That seems like such a, a strange combination.
1: It is. It was actually entitled by Suzuki, not myself. Uh He came up with this idea um, with a certain irony, of course. You know, you you are happy, but same time you're victim to something. And uh, the story is like what what I described earlier, you're very happy with your fashion collection. You know, I managed to buy this amazing pair of Gucci loafers, for example, if you're obsessed with Gucci and you are happy but same time you need to kind of sacrifice something meaning oh i want to go you know eat at this like amazing restaurant but i want to prioritize with my with my income i want to prioritize a pair pair of loafers by gucci so in a way like you you kind of have a so much restriction in your life. And one of the biggest subjects in my book is Mr. Yutaka Ishibashi, who was obsessed with Martin Margera. And then you might remember that he lived in a small accommodation, pretty much, uh, uh, it's like 20 square meters, probably less than that. Uh, one basically a studio flat. Uh, in the central Shinjuku and I uh, paid him a visit in his house because I wanted to see the kind of like how he lives and etc and he he, it was actually his life to be surrounded by Marjela collection and you know he he never ate in his house in order to keep his house to speak and span didn't want to leave any food smell in his house and it seemed to me, like uh, as as Suzuki said, it's a bit like, in a way, you you based around clothes, you based around the designer, fashion designer. You almost kind of give up on something, you know, which can be essential to your life. You know, to be able to eat in your house, that's kind of like something you'd expect as long as you live in a house, right? But he kind of gave up on that in order to keep his marginal collection Speak and Spam. So it's like he, he kind of knows that he was he kind of knew that he was a victim but he was at the same time very happy. So that, that's the kind of like a weird kind of irony slash contradiction um, that he wanted to like deliver to us. And I was fascinated by the title myself uh, because I'm quite a sarcastic person as well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, in this relationship between the consumer and the designer, what was the consumer really getting from the designer? Were they recognized? Were they appreciated? Or were they just a pure consumer?
1: Uh, it's a bit of everything. You know, they. It's. Uh, um, recognition thing as well it's basically what what i mean is they they think being dressed uh in a certain designer's clo- clothes from top to toe and then walk outside the house you know it's small streets or big streets or rest you go to restaurants and department stores and uh, being recognized is um uh, in a way, like a satisfaction for them, and to 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 be able to brand themselves, um, you know. Hey, I'm in Magela clothes from top to toe, and um, also you meet some friends, and they would point out, that, oh, I like your shirt, and I like your jeans. Where are they from? You know, basically everything is maybe from Margera Everything is from maybe Gasson. and that's how they kind of start conversations and uh in a way for them it was like communication device and through fashion items they start talking about not only fashion but also something else uh, life in general Uh, so also they're they're purely a i would say they're purely like uh, consumption driven, maybe because they they are born and raised in Japan, and if if you live in Tokyo, um, like I said, earlier, it's, there are so many retail opportunities. It's just hard not to miss like anything, you know, from the UK to the US to uh, Africa to Brazil. Like there's so many imported goods around, you know, just around the corner from from where you live. And you go to major train stations or shops in general, and you come across millions and millions of product offerings. I'm talking about like a consumerism in general. So like so many options, and then they they like consuming a lot. Uh, that's why like the store presentations are so good, and customer service is you know top notch. And so not only talking about those fashion-obsessed people, not only getting an item or two from one store, it it is important for them to experience this uh, customer services, um, the the customer service. You go to the store and then you, you know, I'm sure those fashion-obsessed people like sort of great regular, Customers, I'm sure those were on a list or like on the VIP list of each store. So you go visit the store, everyone knows you, and uh, hello, Mr. Something, 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 Miss Something, something. Then I, you know, uh, we got like a new delivery, new season coming up, and then and then I, I think they are treated well in the shops. and. Um, that's that's the kind of like a special thing they can experience they they can maybe feel in a way like a bit important um they they are treated like a king queen and uh, that's something fun thing uh which they can they could occasionally experience once a month you know every other week something like this uh so it's i think it's a bit of everything and especially well we are in 2022 the situation might be slightly different because my book is featuring like a late 90s and notice uh, when the Japanese economy was still good and so that's that's the uh, that's the probably best answer I can give you I think
0: do you think if you have such a strong obsession like that is there room for other things in your life I get the impression that if you're you are uh say being careful with what you eat what you spend your money on just so you can dedicate yourself to buying the latest goods i mean do you have room for anything else
1: um mm, yeah i yeah, got me personally or well or the or the or the happy victims or happy victim. <laughs> um well room for anything else i in like leisure activities
0: or other interests, inter- partners, friends.
1: Oh, okay, yeah, right. Um, f- um, from what I experienced, uh, uh, basically, I met only three to four people to interview, and one of them was married. Uh, but and then I I met this gentleman who was obsessed with the Kabundo Zuka, the Japanese label. And his wife was equally obsessed with a certain fashion brand, so they're like their main focus was like a clothes, and they, I don't remember they were talking about anything else. Oh, but they, they they said that they enjoy like eating out. So other than clothes, they they did have a huge interest in like, you know, uh, gourmet. Um, mm-hmm. Other people, um, a lot of them are. Well, I I wrote about this um, in in my book as well, but the majority of them are actually like single. And then I wasn't sure if they were interested in getting married anytime soon, at least at at that time, uh, which is kind of like a while ago. So it seems like they were much less interested in any other topic criteria or category, sorry, than fashion. Probably that that was, um, you know, uh, they they live in a small accommodation to be able to save. And then most of the disposable income went on to their fashion collection. So either they didn't have more disposable income to do anything else, or they were purely not interested in any other thing.
0: Do you get the sense that
1: buying all these clothes was making them happy? I think so. Yeah, they they generally seem to be quite proud of their collection, and uh, they were they were like a bunch of collectors, so collecting what they like, being with a favorite fashion brand, was their primary concern, at least, at the at the period of time, and uh, like I said a little bit earlier, like branding themselves was what made them happy, and. Um, so yeah, they didn't. They didn't seem to be like, "Oh, I'm such a victim. I'm so, I'm such a lonely, sad person." I, I, I didn't, fa- <laughs> I didn't get that kind of vibe. Well, at least whereas I was interviewing them. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, the way they displayed their clothes on the magazine photo, basically showing off their collection. I understand there was also some competition among potential participants to be the one who would show off their collection of that brand um, do you think that has also sort of moved into the social media the Instagrams of today
1: yeah that's a good point yeah um, so, yeah one of the guys I interviewed uh, for my dissertation slash my book uh, the same gentleman like who was actually obsessed with the Kavanda Zuka. and then he was actually not the only collector as a Kabundozuka collector featured in the magazine. He, oh, hang on, I got one. my memory might be wrong. Uh... Yeah, so the, uh, sh- sh- this this showing off culture, which you can see on social media in general now nowadays, it's a very similar. Like, uh, look at my collection. They want they. Uh, Probably social media—it's a lot easier for you to be on the on the stage, you know, because you you can create your own account and you start posting pictures, right, to show something, and that's a lot easier nowadays. But at the time, there was no social media platform, and then to be photographed by someone like a Suzuki, and then to be featured in the magazine—that would have been for them. A once in a lifetime experience, you see. So, even though there were, the amount of information wasn't as wide range as nowadays on the social media, there there was slightly sort of competition going on between the same brands collectors. You know, there there, there was a couple of times like to to feature communication collectors and probably few times to feature uh, uh, undercover collectors, I might be wrong Yoji Yamamoto a couple of times as well Issy Mayake a couple of times as well um, we might have to do fact check but a couple of times for sure so uh, apparently I asked the Suzuki and then there was a kind of competition between them but you know there was now on the social media platform you can like message someone easily and hey like your collection is amazing you started chatting probably that's what you can do but at the time there's only print media so you couldn't get hold of this other collector uh, probably so you know so there was no room for them to Tell each other that I'm jealous of your collection, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, there, there is a, yeah, I, um, I think that's a, uh, that's a fair point to say, uh, even though there was no digital communication, but even, yeah, even though there was no digital communication, there was a certain competition going on. Not as obvious as Instagram, for example.
0: Speaking of influential magazines, it was clear that the smart magazine you worked for was hugely influential in Japan. Do you think European, British, American magazines hold anywhere near the same influence?
1: Uh, right now? Talking about 25? Say, in the last 20 years? Last 20 years. <laughs> uh, well, I'm not too sure. Um, it's It's just like... In, in terms of like density, like proportion, um, Smart Magazine was a hugely influ- influential. You know, we only issued in Japanese, right? And uh, even like a friend of mine, uh, at the time, he, he, he's, a, he's a Chinese friend of mine. He lived in Beijing and uh, at the same time as me, like working for the publishing house. And uh, he used to buy The magazine, even though it was printed in Japanese, and he just enjoyed the photography, and then we ended up uh, we we actually ended up publishing a Chinese edition in Taiwan, um. So yeah, even though the the region was kind of like limited, it wasn't like worldwide, such as uh, English titles. yeah, that the number wise is like pretty much like top notch and uh, I'm not too sure if uh, there are any like English or international titles you know in, uh, selling a similar number of copies i I've, I've never heard of them and I've never heard of any at least so I'm not entirely sure
0: it is strange that Japanese magazines are still bought in Quantities by people who can't understand what's written in them. <laughs> yeah, that's true.
1: Yeah. Um, before last Christmas, I went to a Sheffield, and then it's, it's a great vintage store. And uh, yeah, they talked about one of the Japanese fashion magazines, and they have a couple of copies, and then they were even featured in their magazine. And, uh, you know, they said even though they cannot read all the articles very well, uh, they can just enjoy photography, like how it's being edited, layout, you know, the quality of printing and paper quality, etc. And so it's just like attention to details, they pay. Yeah. So it's yeah, it is like you said. It's not not like like a large large quantity, but it they. The, mag- the Japanese magazines are, are d- do attract a certain like audience, spectators in, in, in you know, um, in different countries.
0: I imagine the vintage shop in Sheffield must have been Rag Parade.
1: Yes. Yeah. Jojo's, Jojo's general store. Yes.
0: <laughs> yes. 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 Um, now, let's take a, a little move back to your teenage years when you were first starting finding your way in the fashion world. Now, I know in Japan there are certain, shall we say, subcultures or styles that are quite um, rigid in their definition. Where were you in this? Ah, good question. Um... Or were you the rare maverick who would not accept any established style and went your own way?
1: uh i yeah i'm not too sure if i if i understood your question very well (laughs) if you could elaborate a little bit that would be great
0: well in japan you have the you have the rockers you have the rugged guys Mm -hmm. you have the denim guys the bikers and all these where were you in that scenario
1: myself uh I don't think I was in either of them. Um, I picked up some of like a rugged style, you know, obviously I I I, I love the American vintage products and I still do. Um, but I went to a couple of like European vintage clothing stores and I got equally fascinated by some, you know, French uh, or British workwear. Uh, so I kind of like, a, without having any categories without, you know, categorizing myself. like I'm going to go for this category. I'm going to go for this style. Like I just like picked up what I like and, um, I just picked up what, what I liked and then, then mashed them together. So it's, yeah, that's why probably you know, I, I couldn't answer you straight away. Why is it
0: you think that these things cause, hold so much interest in Japan? Um, I mean, there's a huge production of clothes in Japan, both in the sort of heritage, authentic, rugged styles and denim. But there's also a massive import to Japan of vintage. Like you were saying, the the shopping there is fantastic because basically everything good in the world has ended up in Tokyo or Japan. Where does this interest or obsession come
1: from, do you think? Uh, I think... It is. It comes from maybe. Uh, it it comes from. I, I think this is my my theory, my guess, and uh, some people might say like, "Oh, Take, I don't think you're correct," something like this. But I think it's a uh, Japan. You know, well, especially Tokyo, was heavily destroyed during World War II, right? 1945, completely got burned and then, you know, followed by Hiroshima, Nagasaki, atomic bombs, and then, you know, basically Japan lost uh, the World War II. And um, according to my grandparents, uh, you know, my grandfather, his name was Takeo, and um, my Take comes from him, actually. And uh, he was uh, one of the Spitfire pilots. Uh, it's called a Zero Fighter. That's a Japanese Spitfire. Yep. And my my uh, yeah, he was actually uh, on a mission in uh, around Papua New Guinea, and then uh, he was in he was involved in a dogfight against the U.S. Navy, and he got shot, and he lost his right hand. Uh, so he just uh, he was actually like flying in the air, and then. He was nearly dying. He managed to survive, anyways. And my grandmother was uh, right in the middle of the bombing site. And he just, sorry, she just saw like all that sort of flying fires, like just, he said, she said, just like fireballs flying all over the place. And I got destroyed completely. She was just running around with her friend. So uh, having heard those stories and and Japan basically lost everything in terms of they, they had no money, you know, not much to eat, not much to wear. You know, freezing winter, they had to like just like a put up with it, you know, just sort of, yeah, just tough life basically. And then um, the major source they could rely on was the uh, black market in the US. Oh, sorry. The major source for clothing, especially, was uh, the black market in east East End of Tokyo, the area called Ueno, and uh, that's where you could discover like American surplus items, you know, or cigars, chocolates, all sorts of things. I I believe. So that that's the root of this vintage obsession i think they just got fascinated by blue jeans as opposed to the traditional clothes in japan uh, as opposed to the traditional japanese clothes Uh, it's all kind of you know talking about denim itself it's just rigid and uh, tough tough workwear of course and then after all like you know you wash them multiple times and they fade beautifully amazing blue and then military jackets, you know, the form follows function. You know, all the pockets and amazing like fabrics, etc. Then they just got fascinated by it, by those things, and uh, yeah, then those were hugely like well received, and I, I think that's kind of how the history started, the history of obsession. If that makes sense.
0: It does, it does. Mm. Uh, in the book, you also launch the term fashion otakus. Mm. Now, otaku is a, a Japanese word that some may be familiar with. Could you
1: tell me a bit more about it? Sure. Um, otaku is an English geek or nerd, and, uh, which used to be a negative term in Japan, especially in the 80s. and uh, Otaku was... Someone who was obsessed with, it, especially like a pornography side of thing, uh, you know, pornographic animations or videos, etc., and uh, who, you know, some someone a, a man, you know, in thir- in the thirties or forties, who to go after like a teenage girls that sort of thing, like really like disgusting to describe too much, um, and then yeah, one of the guys. Uh, basically murdered young innocent girl and that became a huge scandal in japan everyone was shocked and um uh that's ironically that's how otaku became famous because of because of the way he lived and because of the obsession he had uh, with those pornographic things Uh, but from time to time you know nerdy people uh became kind of trendy uh, because like obsession is not only about liking pornographic things, but also computer graphics could be animations, illustrations or music uh, or fashion as well. So nowadays otaku is a uh, slightly, like it's a bit like a happy victim. It's a slightly kind of ironic term. You know, you, you're you obsessed with something. You're nerdy, geeky about something. And maybe a bit antisocial uh, person. Uh, you stay at home all the time. You can kind of research on a certain topic because you're obsessed with it, whether that's animation or food or yoga or fashion uh, or music. But because of that obsession, you specialize certain knowledge, and you, you you become almost like a prosumer, professional consumer, prosumer. And you know you, you, you specialize your knowledge. You, you because you're otaku, your music otaku, we call it onga otaku. If you become an ongaku otaku, you buy so many vinyls. Most probably, and you start spinning those records, and not only in your house but also in front of people, and that becomes occupation as a professional DJ. And this person might be an otaku. Well, this person is surely otaku because it, you know you he's he or she's obsessed with the music a lot. And the same story as all the other categories: like a fashion, fashion otaku. Okay. Some people might be, well, a lot of people might be very nerdy, you know, nerdy about stitching, uh, fabrics, history of the factory, how the clothes are made, you know, what the designer's backgrounds, et cetera. They're very, very knowledgeable about these things. Uh, so we we call them fashion otaku with a slightly, obviously, um, it, it's not a pejorative term. It's, it's a bit more like with admir- admiration and wow you're great but at the same time like almost like <laughs> it's so funny like he says so says she's like really geeking out that sort of thing okay yeah and uh, those those people who are called otaku they seem to be also proud of it a lot of them at least
0: i expect the internet has made all these obsessions a lot more accessible and
1: Le- researchable and legitimate
0: Mm. Well, apart from the start of it, yeah, apart is... from
1: the start of it, of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Now, I'm a bit uh, curious. What are you an otaku
1: for? Well, I have to say, uh, your fashion. And again, like I have a, I, I have a slight, I showed you like a slight hesitance to say that, but. Because I have been liking uh, fashion since I was a teenager. And then, like I said, I started digging into topics so much, uh, not only just styling point of view, but also like manufacturing point of view, communication, how the stores are presented, etc. Then like, OK, uh, I'm 45 since pre- probably like since last 30 years, every single day, at least, I've been thinking about clothes or fashion. Um, Right, and that uh, that became my uh, that ended up becoming my occupation, and uh, yeah. So like I'm a uh, fashion otaku, I have to say, and proud of it. I think so. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: let's get into uh, your work now, because I am very curious to hear more about the sort of work you do and what it's
1: about. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I was the fashion director at Monaco magazine uh, here in London since the launch uh, for the course of seven years and uh, uh, yeah after seven years I left and in order to start my own company start my own yeah, career path basically uh, to be a fashion stylist and create visions. And so currently, uh, most of my clients are either fashion or luxury clients, and they they not only ask me to style the models, but also create the whole basic, basically create the whole concept of either the photo shoots or video shoots. And then nowadays, social media is a big thing for everyone, and they, they want to create online contents. Not not only on set, but also behind the scenes, etc. So, including all sorts of things. I as soon as I have a job confirmation, I'm most of the time I'm asked to create the mood board. Uh, shall I specify what the mood board is? Yeah. So mood board yep. is often used in fashion and the design fields to share the visions prior to the production. So the mood board is a collection of like different photos. Either you picked up uh, some photos from the internet or scan a magazine copy, or like you take photographs with your iPhone or like mobile phone, and then put them on the mood board. So seeing is believing. So rather than explaining the concept uh, vocab- by using your vocabulary to the client, Sharing pictures, it's the, probably the easiest. So that's what we call it like moodboard collection of images and also explanation. So it, it's, it's a good reference for all of us to share and a client can imagine what I have in mind. Then based on that, I uh, create the looks uh, by using the client's samples or sometimes I, uh, I need to source some supporting items. For example, like hey, this client only makes uh, jackets, so okay, right. So we need to source supporting items, probably t-shirt underneath, uh, pair of jeans uh, to go with, or the shoes, or like some props. Uh, let's use a you know the traditional Japanese theater mask, or let's use a let's use a fishing rod, uh, etc. So like that, the ideas are almost unlimited. Well, it is unlimited, and. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I combine all the ideas and then bring all of them on, on to set and then uh, make the production happen. And then, after the production, obviously, we need to select uh, images like photos and videos. And uh, we often have to like retouch uh, the pictures later on. If it's a video, obviously, we need to edit the video, put the music on, or uh. Uh, color grading, etc. Then uh, send uh, all the send all the deliver deliver sorry send all the materials to the clients. So that's what I do. Dress people and uh, no sorry to Japan. So yeah, uh, on set I act as a as a fashion stylist. So I dress people and then style them, and then also I act as a creative as the creative director. Um, just to try different angles um uh, you know sometimes i come up with the, uh, a new idea which was not on the mood board and then just uh, make sure that the client will be happy with this kind of random idea i just came up with a new concept like, shall we try this photograph or like a video this angle and ask the model sometimes can you like jump or can you run or can you spin around a little bit and those things like just to create fun images so that's uh, what i do on set
0: sorry to interrupt but at this point in the pod you're probably wondering where are the ads i miss the ads and you're right there are no ads i hate ads if you'd like to buy me a coffee though you can go to buymeacoffee.com enter Gormology, and it's easy and uh yeah let's continue on this might sound like a cheeky question but do you consider yourself to have a uniquely good sense of style?
1: i think so yeah um i i i think I have my own voice um to deliver onto the pictures uh, to to also like not only make to to make the clients happy but also at the end of the day the clients want to make their consumers happy right um so that's how kind of it's like I don't know how to explain. It's like sort of all that that would drive the whole economy, consumption after all, right? So if the customers, if the clients, customers aren't happy, they're not gonna pay a penny on their products. If they, if the, if the customers of the clients are happy, they will spend some money on their products, and then that's uh, how they drive the revenue. And that's also how I get the projects, right, at the end of the day. The clients want to be able to afford my creative services. So that's how it kind of, like, circulate uh, what comes around, goes around, if that makes sense. Uh, just um, what's mm-hmm. the best way to explain in English? Like, I, I'm trying to come up with the best, uh, not the cash flow, Um uh, Cir- it is. Uh, I mean,
0: it is the it is the cycle or the circular economy. Yes, the cycle in a, in a different way. Yeah, and rubbing each other's backs to create magic. yes, yes.
1: So, um, uh, to sorry to uh, to answer your question, like, do I do I have a unique unique uh, style? Yes, I do have my own voice, and uh, also, I I'm confident that I I can tailor a unique concept to each client or to each project, even the client is the same from one season to another. This season, let's do this. And the next season, I come up with another idea uh, because we have done this previ- for the previous season, let's do something new, but still keep the style consistent because I have my own style, which comes from my uh, retail research, you know, from my Tokyo days, pretty much, you know, a bit of Americana, a bit of British influence, uh, mixed with Japanese designers, kind of a uh, aesthetic, uh, and I come from Japan, obviously. So I I I want to sort of mix some Japanese uh, essence in into the photography and or video. Uh,
0: you work with uh, quite a few different uh, styles of clients. Mm. Is it is it difficult to come up with something different for each of them?
1: No. Um, I don't think so. Um, obviously everyone is different. so based on what the client wants, uh, obviously I, I don't want to push push them on my idea just to kind of dominate the game, et etc. but uh, I just I, I just want to make sure that the client is happy based on the kind of like they they usually give me a briefing. We want to achieve this kind of thing okay, so based on this briefing, I start cooking. So, like, they give me sort of some ingredients on the chopping board, and then I start adding something onto it, and if I add something too much, they will tell me. I'm not too sure sure about this. So, it's just like a fine-tuning the balance based on the client. So, some clients really love the idea if I go really cutting-edge, and then some clients want to play safe. But, these all come from their clientele. Uh, at at the end of the day, either online shopping or either online shoppers or you know uh, physical shoppers. So, at, like I said earlier, at the end of the day, they want to make their customers happy. So I always think about you know what 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 what's the best way to kind of make the clients, uh, not only the clients, also the customers happy. So yeah, I mean. You know, different customers, different ideas, so I tailor different concepts. So it's it's not very uh, challenging at all. Now, as a professional stylist,
0: um, what is your impression these days when, uh, with the advent of social media, where everyone is an influencer, everyone is a model, everyone is a stylist? Can you sort of tell who has any genuine talent and? who definitely doesn't
1: um good point um i it's it's difficult to say because at the end of the day you know i i i don't follow those influencers myself because you know to be completely honest with you like i I don't know if I like their styles. <laughs> yeah, feel free to edit my comments. Uh, obviously, I, I just don't want to be too aggressive to people. Um, but uh, you know, they they just want they they have their own voices, and then they show their style, and if they catch the, uh, people's attention, and then like they will they they would grow their uh, Instagram account, and they then they will have like so many followers, right? And at the end of the day, it's like the. I think the social media is pretty much kind of the game of the numbers, you know. The more influencer, sorry, the more, the more followers, the merrier it would be, and um, and then that would become their occupation, and then, you know, that's how sort of fashion and luxury clients catch them, and then oh, this person has like a, how many million followers, and therefore we're going to offer the job. Uh, know it is what it is and then like i said i do have my own voice and then i don't really get influenced by them to be honest and i because i believe in my aesthetics and then i do have my own style and i i I cannot be like them but none of them can be me Uh, so that's i think what i should consider and um, and then yeah to be fair like I, i try to kind of stay away from social media as much as possible. Usually like I post my, I'm still new to social media platform actually. I started out like as of the first of April last year. So it's been less than a year. And then, um, you know, it's, it's still in small account, but it's fine. I just, it's it's, it's, it's my professional account. And then I just uh, basically post my portfolio. You know, either my old work or my new work, and then post and the leave, not to be obsessed with the platform because it's designed to make people obsessed, right? And uh, you, you know, some people are really addicted to Instagram, for example, and including the photography style and setting they present, you know, it's obviously like they want to show off, right? Look at me, I'm flying first class over this airline, you know, look at me, I'm staying in this five-star hotel. Look at me, I'm with a celebrity, therefore I'm famous. That that kind of thing, you know, like, um, yeah, that's how they kind of, like, win the game. And then, okay, right, I don't know if you have actually great taste. I don't really admire your taste, but if you win the game, okay, fine, good luck, amazing. That's that's my pure opinion. I don't know if you can broadcast this, but, uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
0: and uh apart from that instagram has sort of unleashed a billion happy victims absolutely they're happy
1: victims yeah
0: all want to show off Mm -hmm. and uh and be the biggest fan Mm -hmm. the biggest fan and get the most fans it's a it's a strange thing with People are sort of interjecting themselves between the brand's fans and the brand, hoping the brand will repost them to give them more fame and so that they can brag again to their followers that the brand has recognized them. Which, of course, was something that the original Happy Victims Mm -hmm. didn't really succeed much with. I think a couple of them were recognized by the brand's. I was thinking about how uh, Margela actually reposted the happy victims picture in their literature, but for the most part, the happy victims were ignored by the brands' PR and so oh, forth. Oh yeah, yeah, that's
1: right. It's a it's a bit of a funny thing. So, uh, especially uh, European, especially European fashion labels, including. Um, you can edit down, a, 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 probably I shouldn't mention the names, but you can recognize, well, I wrote about those names in my book anyways. Um, the Japanese branch or Japanese PRs of the those European fashion brands are very sensitive about how it's presented, how they are presented. So like I said earlier, they want to look, they want to make sure they look luxury all the time, high end um as opposed to Suzuki's photographic presentations so it, the irony is as employee oh, sorry um, uh, as because that the people who work for those European European fashion brands in Japan they are hired by the European head offices right so they want to make sure that they, don't upset the headquarters head offices right so once Suzuki's photo photos come out like they kind of freak out right this is not the presentation we like you know we want we want to be we want to be looking really amazing good in the luxury luxurious uh, environment rather than a small studio flat right
0: which looks like a warehouse kind of yeah pretty much
1: (laughs) but Someone like Martin Margiela himself really loved the photo, or uh, Tom Ford at the time he was at Gucci. He loved one of the pictures photographed by Suzuki to depict Gucci obsessed customer, and uh, yeah, to depict a Gucci obsessed customer. So um, it's just like a designers those. Top designers seem to understand seem seem to have understood Suzuki's uh, aesthetic, whereas you know those employees didn't really get oh, it. Like, you know, like because of the, the picture, like, we don't want to upset the head of his but actually like the top designer. Oh, it's it's great. Let's publish it in our book. So that's that's what happens. Oh. It's just like yeah, that's a bit of irony, really. I see. Where we've been going for a while now. There
0: was one last thing I wanted to ask you about. Now, obviously, as a stylist, you have style, and you can give that style to others. Uh, we have a lot of celebrities who are very much uh, adored, celebrated for their style. But clearly, is it their style or is it their stylist's style? Mm. It's uh, if 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 I paid you to give me good style, would that sort of
1: the credit for that style would it belong to me or you? It, it would belong to you because ultimately it's your choice, right? So it's a, if it's a celebrity, it's 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 their, If it's a celebrity, it's either his or her choice, and at the end of the day, stylists are supposed to support them uh, with their idea. You know, maybe they have, I, I'm sure they. a lot of them have their own taste and style, but when it comes to being in the public, or I have this like a red carpet event, or I have this like a conference and then I need to look slightly different from my usual wardrobe, I mean, can you help me? That's how they approach their styles. Then they bring options and options options to uh, the celebrities. And then they say, like, I like this, I, like, I don't like this, and da, da, da. Then that's how the communication goes, I presume. Then they agreed on a certain outfit. And then they, they uh, you know, they turn up in front of the cameras. And, and then the photographs are published right next day or a few hours later. You know, a couple of minutes later, etc. Um, so it's, it's a, obviously it's a teamwork, but at the end of the day, it's the celebrity to choose what the stylist will bring. So does it make sense? It, it, it's for, for the celebrities, they can save a lot of time for sure to, you know, go out and finding things because the stylist will do that job for them.
0: I guess that's where being a happy victim makes it a bit easier because presumably if it's the same designer, everything you own, then it will be easier to
1: match. I think so. And then, you know, so- they go to the same shop from from one season to another. And then the also the beauty of being really loyal to one brand is like it's a same designer. And uh, more or less... You, you, once you have realized, okay, the pattern of this fashion brand fits me really well. And then once they have figured out, they they can have an idea how they about the fits, fitting. And, uh, you know, oh, my size is S, my size is medium. Then, like, it's easier for them to, like, choose the sizes as well. Uh, so it's, you know... It it, it it is almost like a reassuring for them to pick up, uh, you know, a few different things, even though uh, the season is different. And, uh, okay, right. You know, the silhouette is kind of like consistent like since the previous season. So like, even though this is new season, I, I look uh, fresh because the product is, you know, brand new, but the silhouette stays kind of more or less the same. So I still look like myself. I can be myself still in that clothes. Doesn't make sense.
0: Comfortably familiar. Yeah, sure. But but new. Exactly. (laughs) If you were to dedicate yourself to one brand for the rest of your allotted time, what would that be?
1: I have been actually dedicated myself to this Japanese fashion brand, number nine. Which doesn't exist anymore, and uh, that comes in handy. Yeah, <laughs> I I do have a, actually a large collection of the brand, and uh, only occasionally I dress like from top to toe in that brand, but I I often like mix up something else. So I mean I'm am I'm, I'm probably one of happy victims. I'm not gonna lie. And uh, I still continue my research on discovering something like rare pieces from the uh, fashion brand. And I respect the designer a lot. And, and I, in fact, for the magazine I worked for, uh, I was in charge of the brand. So I, I interviewed him a couple of times. And we did the fashion shoots together. Uh, we ended up becoming friends. Uh, and uh, it just, yeah. He's a self-taught fashion designer. He's a, another fashion otaku. Uh, he never studied the fashion per se. He never went to like fashion school. He just he just had done like a bunch of vintage clothing researches, and he got inspired by music, uh, primarily by the Beatles, and um, you know, based on those like musicians' styles, and he started kind of recreating this like, sort of a vintage style. Uh, there's but there's always like his touch onto those garments and and then it's just like authentic pieces a lot of them and and I still wear some pieces Uh, I still have some yeah collection in my in my London house and majority are in Japan (laughs) so so yeah uh, still number nine bizarrely and then the brand finished in 2009 um but if you go see the secondary market, and um, number nine clothes are still like traded uh, with a high, for for uh, high prices, and then yeah, it has a quite big value in the secondary market. So, like it's yeah, you would be probably impressed by that.
0: But you can only find them in Tokyo, mainly.
1: Yes, he had a shop in New York for a bit, and uh, here in London, overseas market saw a bit of collection, but not like you know if you if you if you need to find a kind of like full collection uh yeah you need it to be in tokyo and yeah and there's still like if you take a look at the japanese secondary market like in japanese um we can still find some pieces so probably I'm obsessed well most probably I'm obsessed with the brand
0: <laughs> okay taki this has been great i think uh I think we've reached the end of the road now. I'd just like to say
1: thank you and uh, goodbye. Thank you very much for having me. And thanks, thanks a lot for your support. It means a lot. And uh, yeah, it was nice chatting with you.
0: And that's all for this week's episode of Garmology. If you'd like to check out my guest further, there's links in the show notes. There's also links to uh, how you can uh, support the pod by buying me a cup of coffee, which is perfectly optional. I'm just pleased you're listening. If you'd like to get in touch, suggest a guest. Just let me know what you think. It's uh, welldressedad at gmail.com. You can follow me on Instagram as welldressedad. So until next week, bye-bye.